For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, Mourn through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, Mourn through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Meta Sutta This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented, and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise but not puffed up. And let one not desire great possessions even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong and high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born, may all beings be happy. Let no one deceive another nor despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another, even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child. So with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world above, below, and all around without limit. So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world, standing or walking, sitting or lying down during all one's waking hours. Let one practice the way with gratitude, not holding to fixed views, endowed with insight, freed from sense appetites, one who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness we have chanted the Metta Sutta. We dedicate this merit to... All original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha. Our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati. Our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. 
the perfect wisdom bodhisattva manjushri to the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings all buddhas throughout space and time all honored ones, Bodhisattva, Mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, Mahaprajna Paramita. She is ready. Paula will be giving tonight's talk. Good evening, everybody. So I obviously I know Kaigen, and I know Hogetsu, and I am vaguely familiar with Wade. <laughs> Matt, I have not formally met you before that I remember. But I know you've um, enrolled in the Lotus Sutra study group, so I'm looking forward to spending that time with you as well. And Joe, I don't know you either, so it's very nice to meet you. My name is Paula. I'm a newbie. Um, well, what I wanted to talk about tonight was is the long road of practice. And my idea for talking about this subject right now is the world does seem to be opening up a little bit as far as our COVID situation goes. There's more people out and about. There's more people um, attending events, going to movies, going to plays, all these kind of things again. More of our religious communities are starting to have in-person um, events, which we already have started a little bit last July, and we're, we're going to be starting to sit in person later this month at Ebenezer. And as I'm reflecting back over this long time on Zoom over the last year and a half, year and eight months, you know, I've realized that many people have just started coming to practice over this period of COVID. And um, they're they have a solid practice. You know, many people started coming the first few months that we were in lockdown and have consistently been participating, been sitting in Zazen. And I wanted to touch upon some of the things that can come up after you've been practicing for a while. And we're in very good company with Titan and Pogetzer. <laughs> um. But first, I want to acknowledge that most people do come to practice for some reason. Especially over the last 10 years, the idea of mindfulness practice or meditation practice has become very dominant in our popular culture as a way of either reducing anxiety 
um, working at optimal levels emotionally, psychologically, um, gaining some kind of health benefits to reduce stress in our life. So there, there's, it's increased over the last 10 years from my perspective that it's being presented in secular society as some kind of bomb for some kind of problem. Now, for those of us that have been practicing, we know even if we come through the door with some idea of Zazen being a solution to a problem, the teachings often tell us that one of the first things we want to think about, in a sense, is releasing a gaining idea from our practice. Not having the idea that when we sit, there's a proper way of doing it so we can gain some kind of solution. The more we sit, the more we can accept that we need to let go of this gaining idea. Even though oftentimes for many people, that might be the reason they initially engaged with the practice. So there's nothing wrong with that. But the more we practice and let go of the idea that somehow there's a right or wrong way to do zazen, somehow we're going to see some kind of end result, somehow it's going to fix something, and we start to really inhabit the present moment that zazen offers time and time again on the cushion, and the difference in how that present moment can manifest itself, the practice can change, and we personally could go through peaks and valleys with it as it changes. Because we know impermanence is part of our practice, so our lives are constantly changing, as our zazen will constantly change as well. As we start to experience the wider field that this present moment can offer us, we do become open to the many questions and the many possibilities that can be manifested in the present moment. But notwithstanding, some of the first things that might happen once we've been practicing for a while and we've connected with the Sangha and we might get our own cushion and get our zabutan, and we might even get a little altar at home that we've been using, and we create this environment for the practice, that starts wearing off. Once we have all the new entrapments around it, and we're actually sitting time and time again, it is possible for a boredom with it to set in. And that's very natural and happens to almost everybody at some kind of time. But the promise our ancestors had made with Zazen is to just keep showing up. So even when we experience that boredom, to accept that it's natural is helpful. But regardless of the boredom, to keep sitting down on the cushion. Having a routine and connecting with the Sangha helps us to keep doing that on a regular and consistent basis. And if we keep doing that on a regular and consistent basis, like anything in life, things will change. Things that manifest in the present moment will change again. The experience of the practice itself will change again. 
that change will be different for each individual, depending on the variables that are happening in their life at any given time. Once we get past the boredom, and sometimes even if we came for a reason and we're feeling some relief on whatever that reason might be, maybe anxiety, peace of mind, emotional equanimity, sometimes new stressors might start affecting us in our life. And we find that the problem that we came to Zazen for will crop up again. And it might have us asking questions about our practice. So sometimes not only will boredom crop up, but the sense of relief that the practice gives us might diminish or disappear. That in itself doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the practice. Sometimes with sustained practice, things from the past might manifest in the moment Emotions that have been buried might start manifesting in the moment. Our life situation might change and create additional stress on us that we haven't experienced before. But all of these these things are natural as we go through a sustained practice. It's not a reflection on how good or bad the zazen is. And if we could, again, make the commitment to sustain the practice and sit down on the cushion, once again, these things will change. Oftentimes, when we first start practicing, there could be an element of physical discomfort involved. And that's normal for anybody who sits still in any position for any length of time. Once we get past that initial, uh, that initial physical discomfort, we might be surprised that there is maybe one part of the body that keeps letting us know it's there. So we may be sitting and it might be a certain feeling in the knee or a certain feeling in the lower back or a certain feeling in the neck that keeps presenting itself over and over again. These things could take us by surprise as well. Through sustained practice, Sometimes when other layers of the onions get peeled away and some things might start coming up for us, they could manifest as different things in the body. Um, I know through the years I've been surprised at how often different physical sensations will come up in practice. Right when you feel you found a posture that works great for you and right when you feel Uh, you have the right cushions or the right support cushions or whatever it might be, all of a sudden there could be something that comes up that is with you every time you sit. But eventually over time, with a slight adjustment in posture or with a more opening up in our interior environment, it it will let go. It will release. So again, with sustained practice, this kind of thing as well will change. But it's one of the things that come up as we go down the long road of practice. Strong feelings, emotions, memories, that's all part again of coming up with sustained practice. Um, 
And I'll use the analogy again of an onion, layers of the onion being peeled away. It could often be surprising at the things that might come up. It could often be surprising at the things we didn't even realize were still there. As these things manifest in the present moment, it's a way to practice on letting things go. Engaging, being aware, and letting things go. Over time as well, and none of these happen on a timeline. So anything could happen when a person is brand new to practice, and any of these things that come up could happen when someone's been practicing for 20 years. It doesn't matter. Sometimes there could be experiences that are considered unusual. We all know that experiencing time in different situations could change. That's no different with Zazen. There could be different experience of proprioception, how you're holding your body in space and time. There could be unusual experiences with that. There could be unusual experiences of form, sight, and sound. Our ancestors often warn us against getting too attached to these kind of unusual experiences and not take that as a sign of some kind of enlightenment or, or, or deepening of the practice by itself. Uh, and look at them as just another thing that we could possibly get attached to, another thing we sit with in the present moment and we learn to let go of. And we allow, allow that also to be part of the impermanence of change in practice. And then for me, one of the things I find the most amazing in practice, and I, I think this goes to anything just as part of human nature and anything we do as human beings that can be good for us, you could find over a long period of time that you, you actually have a resistance to the practice even though you might realize benefits from it. Um, I, and as we open up discussion, I'd be curious if any of you have felt that over this or anything else in your life, like maybe you were eating better or starting an exercise program. And when you really start feeling that somehow things are happening and you're healthier and more balanced and it's working, that there actually is something that arises in you that pushes against it really hard, that absolutely doesn't want to do it anymore. Even though logically you know something might be good for you, there's a resistance inside that can catch you by surprise. I don't know what that's about, but I just feel that's part of human nature. And somehow that's a friction we have as human beings as we're experience the duality of this life that we're living. In many ways, uh, this goes back to talking about in secular mindfulness practice, in many ways, I feel that people could be attracted to Buddhism because they feel it's more of a philosophical type of practice. But with sustained practice, There will be benefits that will manifest in our lives that might come to surprise us. And with sustained practice, we learn that there's an element of faith 
that has to be present in the practice as we continue moving down the long road of practice. So even though there'll be positive things that'll manifest, oftentimes they might not be what you expected. So if we go back to that initial idea of sitting zazen and having some kind of idea of what it might or might not do for us, the positive things we experience might not be that idea. The positive things might go beyond any idea we had about what the experience might be. So we learn, we learn from that, that with sustained practice, there's a certain faith in the practice itself. So even though Buddhist practice can be seen as a, a philosophical endeavor at times, this actual experience of sitting in zazen on the cushion actually is a way of opening up faith in our lives in an unexpected way. Dogen wrote often about the experience of sustained practice that underneath this experience is a process happening that is transformational. The longer we go down this road of practice, we feel that transformational process happening, whether we are really consciously aware of it or not. I also wanted to touch upon something else that doesn't really have to do with the individual as much as our relationships. So oftentimes we forget to factor in, in the long road of of practice, the different relationships that we already had in our lives when we entered practice, the different relationships that might have sprung up while we are practicing, and how it could affect our practice. Because Zazen practice has imagery around it of being very solitary, right? You're on a cushion facing a wall, or there's a monk in a cave or a monk in a monastery. We tend to forget that regardless of this singular event of sitting on a cushion, we're still connected to the people around us in our sangha and in our outer world. Sometimes when we get excited about practice, the people that were already in our lives when we started practice may feel like um, a hindrance to practice. I want to sit more zazen, but I can't because I have all these other responsibilities. Or I want to sit in zazen, but I can't because um, my loved one wants me to go and do something with them. Or I have responsibilities on who I have to take care of. One thing to remember on the long road of practice that our relationships are an integral part of it and should be embraced as part of our zazen practice and not a hindrance to it. And sometimes we can forget that. Um, Also, and that extends now, especially because we are going to be seeing each other in person, that also friction in relationships can happen within the sangha as well. Um, Some of you might have experienced that already online. And why I'm saying it's harder to interact with people in the sense that you're not necessarily walking into the room and passing them, or you might not be doing walking meditation with them in the room where you're more aware of the movement of everybody, but maybe someone online had a comment or um, it has a tone of voice you don't like, or they keep talking about the same things, or 
they made some kind of comment that had nothing to do with what everybody else was talking about. So in these small ways, there's a little bit of friction there that maybe online we've experienced as well. Well, that happens when we're in person also, in very subtle ways and sometimes in very gross ways. But that also is part of our zazen. When we have sustained practice and we learn to be in the present moment, and we see the things that can come up within us that sometimes is not comfortable to look at, but we kind of stay with it through sustained practice. We release it, engage with it, get to know it better. We take that feeling of the practice for ourselves individually. And when this kind of friction and unexpected happenstance or whatever the case might be comes up with other people, as it will in Sangha, that's why we're together. We practice with it. We use our zazen and our experience with it. We use our precepts as a guide on how to engage and we work our way through it. So we can't talk about zazen if we don't talk about the relationships around it as well. So I just wanted to um, end the talk with a, a few quotes where Dogen has said and he had written, just in the moment of sitting zazen, what kind of aim, intention, or design is being actualized, we should diligently inquire in detail. And I think this points again, and this Tiger brings up often as well, to the possibilities within the practice and to the questions that will constantly arise in, in the practice as well. And then another quote to encourage us in practice by Shinru Suzuki, the founder of the lineage we're part of here in America. While you are continuing this practice week after week, year after year, your experience will become deeper and deeper. And your experience will cover everything you do in your everyday life. The most important thing is to forget all gaining ideas, all dualistic ideas, and in other words, just practice zazen in a certain posture. Do not think about anything. Just remain on your cushion without expecting anything. Then eventually, you will resume your own true nature. That is to say, your own true nature resumes itself. And I think I'll close there, but I hope in some ways um, this talk will encourage people to continue to engage in the practice. And thank you for your attention. And I hope maybe it brings some things up for conversation as well. Hi, Wade. Hi, Paula. How are you? Um, it's good to see you. It, it's been a minute. It's nice to see you, too. Something that I've noticed in my practice is that I, I have trouble keeping it constant, where I definitely go through periods where I'm sitting a lot, and then I go through periods where I'm sitting not so much, and and finding, you know, what's a healthy balance in between there that I can sustain all the time is, um, I don't know, I found that uh, challenging or I've not had much success to date um, keeping a constant 
practice, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think nowadays what makes that difficult is the variables of our life. And I mean, in many ways, no one's in a set routine anymore. So even with our work, there could be times where you have increased, an increased workload and times that you don't. There could be times where you have more demands on you from other people in your life and other times you don't. But personally, I know the importance of trying to find a routine with practice and doing your best to stick to that routine. But that could mean, that could mean, for example, like if you have an intention to sit 30 minutes a day, looking at your full day and realistically determining what time of the day that would actually work. For me, I can't do anything in the evenings because that's the busiest time for me, work, relationships, everything. So I never try to consistently do anything for myself and my own practice in the evening. I never schedule it because I know it's not going to happen, no matter how sincere I am. So for me, I've learned over time, I have to do it in the morning right when I get out of bed if I want something to be consistent in my practice. So if, if you could pick a time like that that you know realistically is going to work, when things interfere, even if you can't make the 30 minutes, could you just sit for five? And sometimes if you just have a space of time allocated where you're consistently sitting down, even if it's not the 30 minutes, even if it's 10 minutes, but you're consistently doing it, I do think, and I know, again, this is like a faith thing, the universe, the variables the universe is giving you will start to shape around that intention. But it's not easy. It's not easy. Because we don't, we're in a society where, I mean, we do whatever we want all the time, really. I mean, we're not forced to do anything anymore. So to try and have that kind of discipline when you're doing something, it's very difficult. You know, most of us here are older or, you know, middle-aged. But now for younger people, and I'm talking young weight, I know you're young still, but you know what I mean, like 15, 18, 20, 21, it's really hard to have that kind of intentional discipline to things, you know? So that's a long-winded answer to that, and I hope it's helpful. Yeah, I I definitely think that that's helpful. Um, Certainly resonates with me having periods where I have a lot of other obligations going on, Um, you know, in multiple different areas of my life. in some ways, I think it's easier to be a monk in medieval Japan. No choice. Your obligation is to sit. Um, but that's not the situation I find myself in, uh, or any of us. And so the uh, the cards that I've been dealt are wonderful. And and so how to, um, yeah, how to fit practice into that as one of the one of the puzzle pieces dedicated time for things is something i've always struggled with um 
it's good advice. I'm not good at following it. Mm-hmm. One thing, though, um, because you bring up thing, the home-leaving thing, too. You know, the Buddha left home to practice. And people for centuries have left home to practice. But even within Buddhism, for throughout the years, different ancestors and teachers, the reason to leave home is, yes, then you don't get distracted with all this other stuff. But you have to acknowledge that if you decide not to leave home, you have to honor those commitments. And that is your practice. That is your practice. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, don't, I, I like the idea, too, of being in a monastery, and I'm fortunate that sometimes I can schedule a few weeks and go, and I'm very fortunate. But I know realistically I wouldn't want to do that with my entire life. I like, I like engaging with people. And, and, that, and I have to remember that when I feel that's interfering with my practice. I have to remind myself that actually I really do enjoy being out in the world and engaging with people. Um, But I just want to stress again, juggling all of that is part of our practice as lay practitioners out in the world. It is. I will say that it has been helpful for me to keep that in mind. Um, I, I make a joke frequently that things that annoy me are people that I don't like. I, I refer to as Dharma gates. Um, and that's maybe me being flippant with the term, but it, it's also been very helpful for me yeah. because it's just, if I can make that joke to myself, then mm-hmm. one, I laugh a little bit. So I'm less annoyed. And, and two, it just contextualizes the whole thing within practice, which then reminds me of practice. And so I can bring it to that situation. And so, yeah, I've, I found that, very helpful. So thank you for that reminder. Paula, I um, really appreciated your talk. You touched on a lot of really helpful, practical uh, aspects of practice. There's several responses I could have. Just um, uh, well, the two things that you touched on that I really um, felt uh, uh, resonant. First, resistance, and resistance is subtle, and there's different kinds of resistance. And it's just, you know, I, I don't feel like sitting now. I have other things to do, or, or this is, you know. What am I doing going going and sitting for an hour or going, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, but it's natural, I think. And, it's, and as you said, it's part of the practice. Just as I think, as you were saying, I think uh, ships, other people in our, are, are, are part of our practice. I'd say even more than that, that, you know, uh, friends, family, loved ones, are, are our teachers as well. They really show us, you know, in the way Wade was just saying, that the, the people who, who uh, you know, give us trouble sometimes are the ones who really are showing us things that we need to see about ourselves and about 
our reality and resistance. So, and, and I also appreciated your mentioning faith because, you know, it, it takes uh, a kind of trust, a kind of conviction, a kind of um, determination, you know, all the things, all the things around this word faith that to just to keep going and, and just to keep showing up as I think, as you said, is the most important part of practice really. So anyway, I really appreciated the things you were saying. And then just the last thing is uh, what you and Wade were just talking about, about, you know, monastic containers. I know you've practiced at Green Gulch as have uh, Hoketsu and I, and Hoketsu and I have practiced at Tassajara where where there's a very strict daily schedule. In some ways that's easier, but uh, ancient dragons end gate for better or worse. When I moved to Chicago, I, I, it was knowing that I did not want to, um, you know, kind of teach in a, re- in a residential practice. So when we get our new building, there may be a couple of residents, but it's it's not the same thing as, you know, the, the container, the cocooner of a residential sangha, which really makes it easier in some ways. But also it the point of that is, what do we do, you know, out here in Chicago or in the world and so forth. So anyway, I, I'm just, this is a few reflections. I just really appreciated your talk. Thank you. Thank you, Tyden. I don't know if you have comments on any of those. Um, I, you know, again, I just like the idea of engaging with the world myself, but I've also appreciated within the monastic container of going deeper with the practice and having that experience, I feel has made it easier for me to feel I'm bringing practice to my daily life. So I think without the times that I have been fortunate enough to do a longer sitting in that kind of container, um, it's really informed my lay practice in the world. I mean, I feel very much as I move through my life that I have the practice. I don't know if it would have been as easy if I, if I never had an immersive experience at the monastery to feel that way as I'm moving through my normal life in Chicago. I just, I mean, I feel, I'm very grateful for that opportunity, the opportunities I have. I mean, I really seriously am very, very grateful for it. Um, and I've brought that up before as part of this lineage that Shinru Suzuki uh, started in the United States. Like the idea that us as lay people have the opportunity to go to an actual functioning monastery and connect with the community there and stay there for a week or two weeks or three weeks at a time is such a blessing. I don't really know how it is in Japan, but I know in China, it's harder to do that. I mean, you can do it, um, but you're, you're still kind of held on the exterior of the actual monastics. You're not part of the actual monastic community. Um, even though you might be following the schedule, but they're kind of an insulated inside and everybody's on the periphery. 
So being able to, to take advantage or partake in, in that kind of practice is really a blessing for us to have here. Um, but all of that then brought up uh, compassion. And Wade, how you were saying um, how, how at times you struggle with trying to be routine, but sometimes remembering um, that it's all part of it and to kind of laugh with it a little bit, but to also remember to be compassionate to yourself as you struggle with that, as you, as you find it humorous and all that kind of stuff. And if we could bring that compassion to ourselves, this is how we practice compassion. Then maybe we could actually enact compassion to others. But if we're not familiar with it at all, we can't. Then it's just an intellectual idea. So that's all mixed in with what you were talking about, Kayun. <laughs> Hi, Matt. Hi, Paula. Nice to see you online. Thank you for your talk. Um, I had a couple thoughts. I had a quick thought when you and Wade were talking and Tegan. Um, I remember um, I've been practicing at my Zen center for about seven years, and then I got divorced. Um, this was about seven years ago. And I had all this time on my hands, so I did a practice period and did, like, my first session and felt super guilty because my kids were really young. They were just, like, two years old and four years old when I was doing it and I spent the whole weekend away from them. And I was in Dokusan with Norm Randolph, the teacher at Dharma Field at that time, one of the teachers. And I told him how guilty I was feeling, like I should be doing this. And just, he gave me such a short little response. I still remember it. I said, I should be spending more time with my kids or should I be here? You know, I was at that time starting to take my practice more seriously. And all he said was, um, kids are good practice. <laughs> and, um, I thought about that, you know, and he was spot on. So, you know, at that point, I was a dad, you know, that kind of came first. And now my kids are a little older. They don't want me around as much anymore. And now I'm able to do some things with my practice that probably didn't make sense for me to do seven years ago. So um, it's really nice to kind of follow those ebbs and flows of like, well, now's the time for this. And now's the time for that. Um, what I was going to say is I wanted to get your thoughts about this. I had an interesting thought just in the last week or two. Uh, we're in a, I'm at um, Minnesota Zen Meditation Center, and we're in the middle of a practice period. And we're studying um, Dogen, just uh, um, the Tanahashi Levitt, um, essential Dogen, kind of, where they take little bits and pieces of all his different fascicles. And um, we were talking about Shinran, I think, the guy who was a contemporary of Dogen, who was starting Pure Land right around the same time. And someone said um, Pure Land was really into gratitude. I don't know much about Pure Land, but they were like really into gratefulness and gratitude. And then I had this thought, like, did I go down the wrong path? <laughs> like, um, you know, like I think I would have found Buddhism, but to find Zen Buddhism was very random for me. Um, I just did a quick search of Buddhist places in Minneapolis and um, Zen places came up. And so I joined some Zen places and, you know, 15 years later, now I'm all in on Zen, but it didn't have to be that way. Um, I would have, I think I would have found Buddhism, but I could have easily gone down the inside Theravadan route or I, there's not really Pure Land options in Minneapolis. But if I lived like in Los Angeles, maybe I would have gone down the Pure Land route. And um, I thought it's so kind of weird. Like, yes, I think I would have found Buddhism. I, I've always been a spiritual seeker, but I landed in Zen very randomly and now I'm all in. But it's funny how little 
decisions you make years ago, you know, really lead somewhere. And, um, and I still have that thought you were talking about, you know, after you've been practicing a while, this resistance. Well, mine was just like, what if I would have <laughs> gone down a different Buddhist route, you know? And then I just had that thought like, well, too bad. I didn't, you know, I can't, nothing I can do about it. So I don't know if you want to speak to that, but thank you for your tech. Well, the only thing that came up for me in that, ironically, okay, so I do Kung Fu, I do Shaolin Kung Fu, and I know Zen was, is, is part of Shaolin, but I didn't do them both together. So I actually came to Buddhism earlier, more like Theravadan, and then, of course, Tibetan, and then, then I did started Kung Fu. And then I knew Kung Fu had Zen, but I couldn't find any Zen in Buddhism. You know, so here's, it's ironic you say this, right? But then over the years, they started coming together. And that's why I started going to Ancient Dragon, because I knew Soto Zen was part of Shaolin. And I, Ancient Dragon opened up on Irving, and I kept going by on a bus. And I'm like, oh, i got to go there. Finally, a Zen place. <laughs> Finally. Um, but ironically, in the Kung Fu world, in the Shaolin world, and, and when the Shaolin Temple got rebuilt, starting in the 80s, and they tried to pull Shaolin Masters back, and they wanted to reintroduce Buddhism to the temple, not just Kung Fu. So it became all Kung Fu, and then they wanted to be a Buddhist temple again. The big bashing among the Kung Fu community is that, oh, that's just pure land. It's not really Zen. They just grabbed a bunch of pure land monks and stuck them at Shaolin and they're calling them Shaolin and they're not really Zen. So that's what came up for me when he said, I could very well be pure land. I'm like, "Mm, maybe I am pure land. I just don't realize it. (laughs) But that's what came up. But yeah, it's been random. Um, My Buddhist path as well has been very unusual, but in some ways I feel like it's faded because it's so unusual on how certain things have presented themselves through the course of my life at different times and sometimes just at random and then I forget about something and then like five years down the road, boom, some other kind of thing would come up for Asian disciplines and then I forget about it and then boom, something else came up and then it stuck. It's a long story, you know, I can't go into all of it. But yeah, in some ways, it's just, it makes me feel that life is magical. My, my Buddhist journey makes me feel that life is magical and full of possibilities. So I'm grateful for that too. So maybe I am pure land. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. I like the magic in life. I, I appreciate that more and more. Thank you. I'll say something about Shinran and gratitude. Uh, Shinran was um, who founded Jodo Shinshu, which is one of the Pure Land schools. Uh, yeah, focused on gratitude and needing help from the Buddhas, and um, but I, I feel that very. I feel very much that same gratitude as part of the faith of Zazen that. Um, you know, at some point, if we stick to it, we really appreciate how wonderful it is. But I, you know, I don't. I, I think at some point, you know, I'm. I feel very grounded in Soto Zen. I first started practicing with the Japanese Soto Zen teacher, but I've 
explore, you know, other forms of Buddhism, and and they're all informative. And I actually teach at the Jodo Shinshu Seminary in Berkeley and have for many, many, many years. Um, I was their token Zen person. Now there's a couple of others. Anyway, um, but one of the things that I really like about Ancient Dragon Zen Gate is that there are a lot of people with... um, who have experiences in other Buddhist and, 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 uh, and other traditions like Paula's with uh, Shaolin Kung Fu, which is very much related. And uh, a lot of people at, at uh, ancient dragon have experience with Korean or Tibetan or uh, Rinzai or other, other Zen teachers. It's so it, it really enriches the practice. So part of what helps sustain the practice actually can be, it's different for different people, but to actually study or become aware of, or, you know, look in, look a little bit into some of the other aspects of Buddhism, like Pure Land, that are in some ways part of our Zazen practice, part of that gratitude, so. Well, one nice thing about having some direction um, is that there is a lot out there. So that's another reason I was grateful to come to Ancient Dragon. And I wanted, I wanted some, I wanted to be pointed in a direction as well. Because you could get lost in how much is written and how many different disciplines there are and how many different lineages there are. It's just mind-boggling, you know. So I, I'm very happy and grateful also to have people that have kind of sifted through that and can say, here, read this. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, I'll read this. <laughs> as, as I say, um, I'm, I'm still relatively new to this. And um, there, there's a, a, a lot yet to learn. and. Um, there's three things that I've learned that I've come to feel some affinity for. One, of course, is the meditation. Um, another is is the uh, is, is the poetry. We call chants, but I think of it as, as poetry. I think it's it's really it's really really beautiful stuff. And the, the third thing is the philosophy, which that I like uh, some of which. Um, Confuses me, and um, it's some of which I, I, I'm gonna be honest, I just don't understand. But what I liked about your talk, Paula, is you broke everything down so you know that uh, and uh, baby steps guy like me can can grasp it, and I I, I appreciate that. And I look changes that you're um, uh, uh, talking about, and um, uh, I'm looking forward to hallucinations too. But I, <laughs> I think I'll, I'll follow your advice and not try to be uh, uh, attached to them. So uh, thank you very much. Joe, thank you so much. That warms my heart because I have to admit, I was a little bit intimidated when I saw both Tygen and Hogetsu were here. And <laughs> I was giving a talk on beginning uh, of practice. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That makes me feel better. <laughs> wonderful talks. 
excuse me, I have to say, since Ogazu's here, that, you know, Soto Zen really in our Zazen includes so much of everything else that is part of Buddhism. And I, w- I want to recommend Thursday morning after Zazen, Hogetsu gives little talks on the four Brahma Viharas. Are you you're still on equanimity? And, uh, and that's, you know, classically that might be considered Theravada Buddhism, but it's really part of our, part of our practice life and very helpful. So I recommend that after Thursday morning's Zazen, that, uh, Checking it, checking that out. Joe, where are you? Geographically, uh, I'm in Evanston. Okay, so we'll see you soon. Hopefully. Well, I, I hope so. Although you know, um, I, I this uh, during the COVID period, I'm not part of the old uh, generation uh, or that old generation anyway, and. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I've become kind of used to it. I, I've, I'm going to uh, AA meetings uh, via a Zoom as well. And, um, you know, I, 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 I've kind of grown to like it here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, really, uh, I, really, I really should. One of the things that, uh, that, uh, that AA encourages us to do is to take a personal inventory. And while um, I think they, they, dwell, they dwell too much on, the negative. There, there's three uh, uh, personal issues that struggle. Um, the one in one sphere, I've got some uh, pretty severe fear issues. Um, I, I can be prideful, and uh, I can be lazy. And uh, when it comes to being lazy, I, I really much prefer the, um, uh, the comfort such as this. But uh, maybe that's something I need to I need to work on. Kind of maybe. Uh, get over that and get get in the car and uh, do some Zen, make that part of my Zen practice. Traveling, so um, I look forward to that. Joe, hey, I, I I want to give you a response to that, but I'm also at my Kung Fu school, and I know one of my students is probably wondering if I if they want me to wait. If if you guys would you like a would you like a, a rise? Uh, how long? <laughs> You guys don't have to go. How long? Probably 10. Oh, that's cool. Okay. That's so nice. I think, yeah, I think 10 is. Uh, you're so good. <laughs> you know, again, speaking of grateful, that's what I mean. Like, um, my students, they take such good care of me. And they they always make sure I get a ride home and all this stuff. Because I live the monk's life. I don't have a car and all this kind of stuff. So that was one of them wanting to know. Um, if they should wait and all this. And um, I said, no, just go. And they're like, no, we'll wait. It's okay. <laughs> so, but it, it's very easy when, when you're at home a lot. You know, it's like a, a physics thing. Um, what do they say? Um, objects that are not in motion will stay not in motion. And objects that are, you know, I mean, I'm not, a, you know, but objects that get hit by something and start moving, then they start moving at more velocity. So I want to encourage you greatly to at some point connect with us in person. And I know it's hard when we all get in a routine, but there's something like we don't really understand as humans, 
the, the totality of how we experience our lives. And the Zazen helps us get more familiar. It makes us even more wondrous about how amazing this human reception is. But we take in information in many different ways. Zazen helps us realize that. But we don't even ourselves fully understand all the ways that we're actually taking in information. There's something about sitting with people physically in a room that definitely will help you sustain practice. I can't explain it. I don't know what it is, but it's something. And, I, and my hope for you is that you at least experience that every now and then, even twice a month on occasion would be wonderful. And I know you won't regret it. Thank you. May, may I ask a bit of a personal question? I'm not saying this to make you self-conscious or anything. But do you know sign language? No, but I talk with my hands a lot. Yeah, I, but you know, it's funny, but do you see, like, you actually read my mind. Because when my student walked in, I didn't want to split my attention. And I was thinking in my mind, I wish I knew sign language so I could sign at her. She doesn't know sign language either, but that's where my mind went. And you picked that up. This is what I'm talking about when you sit with people together. You literally read my mind. I don't know what either, but a lot of my colleagues uh, uh, use it in the course of their work. So I've, I know what it looks like. It's nice meeting you, Jeff. Matt, I feel I met you before. Have we met before? Well, you know, with COVID, I just joined a bunch of different Zooms. So maybe we saw each other. Maybe I've seen you. Two inches by two inches. But I want to thank you. I I don't want to keep you any longer. It's so nice. Oh, no, don't worry. I'm waiting for you. That's so But that's on me. I don't want want to feel rushed either. So that's not a problem. They do Zen, too. Like, you'll you'll meet a couple of them because they've been sitting as well. And they really started sitting more intensely during COVID as well. So that's a good thing. So they get it. You know, they don't want to make anybody rush. <laughs>